Hey everybody, and welcome to Cat's Cradle, the show within a show where we talk about game design and games and designing them. I'm your host, Cat, the baby in the titular cradle. I'm unsupervised. With me today are Kathleen. You'd think I would be supervising, but no. I, I refer to you as my adult. Why have you not stopped me? Hmm. And Nick's here. I'm also here. I'm absolutely not adult supervision. That's a fact. Absolutely not. So, like all babies, today I want to talk to you about rules templating. <laughs> a, uh, a well-known topic among circles of toddlers. Wisdom from the mouths of babes. Did I leave enough space that you can cut my heinous cackle out? Because <laughs> that makes me sound deranged, and I'm not deranged. <laughs> I'm just mad about these deals. No, you baby. Wah. Okay. Mad about templates. I'm mad about templates. So one kind of unsung hero of RPG design, except for me, I'm singing about it all the time, is rules templating. What I mean by that isn't like your style guide, like what things are bold and where you put colons, although where you put colons is important. What I mean is, how you phrase your rules, the structure of a rule, the structure of a mechanic, the structure of an item communicates its content to the player, hopefully in a way that is clear and easy to understand. This is something I have been writing co-designers about since college, and it's kind of a pet subject of mine because precision in rules is... I guess the difference between a professional product when you're designing a game and a middling or even an unplayable one. I mean, I always strive to have clear templating and heroic chord, but my style in that game is also weirdly conversational, so I'm not quite sure I'm nailing it, but I'm never sure if I'm nailing anything. Not a fan of carpentry? Not a fan of carpentry. That's not true. I love carpentry. You can't put that on me. Carpentry is a wonderful art. Yeah, aren't you the one who watches all the weird, like, YouTube woodshop stuff? Woodshop YouTube, yeah. Woodshop YouTube is extremely manic, and I love it. You can learn a lot about uh, a lot about carpentry there, everybody. But um... <laughs> No, you don't. <laughs> you just learn about what things you can and shouldn't put on a wood lathe. Turns out there's a lot of them. There's a lot. There's a lot of things you don't want to put on a wood lathe. Like magic cards. Or rules text. Or rules text. <laughs> Nailed the dismount. Perfect. Excellent. So the reason I bring up magic cards is because when I was in college, I played a lot of Magic the Gathering. I still have Rakdos patches on my bag because um, the big red man is my friend till the end. And I love him. But also because magic is a master class in rules templating. Yeah, they've had a long time to get good at it. But they also have very specifically gone out of their way to always be updating templating and to make sure that whenever they do update templating, it means exactly the same thing every time you see that word, which is probably the most important thing about rules text. Yeah, absolutely. Unless it's in italics at the bottom of the card, the word trample always means the same thing. Yeah means after damage is assigned to the defender, the remaining damage is assigned, like, is continuing to be a threat. 
Before we get into um, trample, which is specifically a keyword, which I think we should talk about, more than just keywords, the way that sentence structure flows on magic cards is always the same. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things that may not seem like it's a big deal to a lot of people, especially to a lot of uh, designers who are just starting out or, you know, like obviously when you're doing your first pass, you're not going to have like a set in stone way that you're going to be doing, you know, your sentence structure. But like that is one of the things that when you're like, okay, this is how I want the rules to work. This series of events or these calculations or these, you know, narrative hooks or whatever you need to make sure that those things always read the same way because then when people see like, okay, here's this new section. So, you know, using our heroic cord, for example, using your assist pool, the verbiage then for using the assist pool needs to be the same for every ranger. Like that way, if you're like, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm the title navigator and I use my assist pool this way. If then you say, well, I want to make a cavalier, you're not just like, well, wait a minute. This is weird. Does the Cavalier Assist Pool function differently? Right. A really interesting example of this is that uh, is if-then statements in magic. Um, in English, if-then statements don't necessarily have to be in that order. For example, if you're going to the store, please pick me up a soda. Please pick me up a soda if you're going to the store. In English, both of these are correct. In magic, only the first one is. If there's an if-then statement on a magic card, it is always if blank, blank. If there's an additional condition, it ends with as long as blank. Always. This is ironclad. As a result, you can very clearly see the process from one step to the next, and the clauses read in that order. Go ahead. Fish out magic cards from your collection. I'll wait. I'm not going to wait. But you'll see that if-then statements or when statements are always in the order they happen. Yeah, this also extends, and again, we're mostly using magic because it is probably the most obvious and best example of amazingly good formatting. Mm -hmm. Even commas mean something in magic formatting because magic formatting also uses punctuation to differentiate different things and different ways that the cards function. Mm -hmm. The card that I have always liked to use as a very good example of the formatting is a card called Contagion Engine, which, because as part of its rules, it very specifically says proliferate, comma, then proliferate again, which tells you, the reader, that you completely finish the first instance of the mechanic of proliferate, which is not really important as to what it does for this discussion, but what is important is the fact that you completely resolve that mechanic once entirely, and then you do it again. You know, because of the way that the cards in the game work, for example, if a card does something, you do everything on that card all at the same time. But because of the way that it's formatted, it lets you know that you do this once and then you do it again after completing it the first time, which allows you to, in the instance of this mechanic, like it generates more counters on things. It lets you basically, if you only had one, you could have three 
instead of if it all went off at the same time, when then it would be, okay, well, both of these only see it once, so it only gets one extra. And the important thing about Contagion Engine is that you don't need to study the card or read errata to know this. Anyone who picks up this card can look at it and see proliferate, comma, then proliferate again, and you're going to find 10 out of 10 people are going to understand what that card wants them to do. That's templating. Like that's, that's how you do it. And I guess then the second thing, then this goes a little bit to Kat's original thing about technically like bolding or italicizing or underlining can be part of your templating. Yes. But that is less important is from like the grammatical perspective than it is uh, keywords, as we mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. um, if you are going to use keywords in your game, make sure that the keywords are always the same keyword in the same tense. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you have and this is common in war games, and you also see this in the D&D, getting knocked to the ground. Sometimes it's called prone, sometimes it's called being knocked down. If you are going to use either of those, you need to stick with it. If being on the ground is considered prone, then your rules cannot state that this ability or item or weapon or occurrence knocks you down. It says this whatever you are then prone or knocks you prone or something like that. But you always have to use that word in the same way. Mm -hmm. Consistency is king. It's absolutely the most important thing I can communicate to designers about templating is consistency is absolutely king. If you use the same phrase to refer to the same action every time, then when people see that phrase, they know exactly what you mean. This may seem quibbling, but don't forget that when you're writing a rules text, you're throwing a lot of information at a person. Templating allows you to establish shortcuts so that they don't have to stop and evaluate every single phrase in a paragraph. This is something I'm still kind of working on for Heroic Chord. There are a lot of things that I haven't settled on my templating for yet. It's driving me bananas. Yeah. It is one of those things where if, for instance... I am going to teach Kat how to play a game. And I sit down and say, okay, this board game that we're playing, you know, you roll the dice and move that far. And then if you need to, you know, draw a card or pass go and collect $200, here's what you do. And I don't need to obviously use any fancy things if I'm just talking to Kat, because if she has questions, I can just immediately answer them or, or make that clear. But Ideally, if you are making your game for mass consumption, or at the very least for people other than you and your immediate friends to look into, you're not going to have that ability to let people know. So you need to cut down on every little point of failure that you can. And one of the only ways, really, that you can do that is through your templating, through your formatting. So I do not know very much about this topic, but I have been fascinated this entire time. Kathy, you mentioned a little bit earlier that you are still in the process of nailing down some of the templating for Heroic Chord. And I can see that a little bit in some of the ways that we've just talked around the playtest table, like whether you gain versus lose scatter. At one point, you had a keyword called center, which is to say that you lose scatter in the current terminology. And then at some points, we've also said, like, you gain scatter versus you scatter into the assist pool or that sort of stuff. 
And so in some cases, we are kind of arriving on a terminology over the course of the playtesting. But at some point, you have to sit down and be like, okay, this is the official verbiage. What does that process look like? Um, it, It's happened piecemeal for me, mm-hmm. where I'll be sitting down and writing. I'll be like, I really prefer scatter being gained. Like, originally... You had a pool of scatter, it was 10, and as it was drained, basically your MP went down. And then uh, kind of as we went on, I realized that because scatter was what we were calling the consequence, it was more appropriate to say that people were gaining scatter. So instead of losing points, now we are gaining points. We're going from 0 to 10, not from 10 to 0. At some point, I decided that, and then I make my big decisions, and I do some editing, and I fix it up. Then maybe I'll sit down and be like, I hardly ever use center, and I don't like it. I think the concept is too gamey, and here's the thing about keywords. They're really great shortcuts to help people understand what's going on in the game, but they're also mad gamey. The more keywords you put into your game, the more like a game it feels. (laughs) which in a role-playing game is not always what you want. I can also imagine that just from a communication standpoint, every keyword that you've added is an extra piece of jargon that the reader has to learn. Yeah. And the more jargon you put in, the more technical you're going to come across. And for some games, it's very good. Um, Lancer has a lot of keywords, and that helps for two reasons. One, Lancer is extremely complicated and needs all the help it could get. And second, it's meant to be a very technical game. It's meant to feel like a very technical game. So the keywords don't really break immersion in a game about giant robots because you're kind of expecting these kinds of terms because you're a robot pilot. Yeah, that actually leads into something that I was thinking about earlier when you mentioned Scatter is the fact that the way you format your game will also influence its flavor. Like... The way that scatter in the game works, going from 0 to 10 or 10 to 0, is identical. The actual act of, I have this many points, they go down when I hit 0, then I can't do it anymore, or the thing happens. Yeah. Even though mathematically it's just, you know, the inverse of going from 0 to 10, the act of saying that you have this, you know, that scattering is this drawback to using magic in the system makes that mechanic more flavorful. Likewise, as you just mentioned, you know, a game about complicated robots and tech crews and mechanics and all of those things that you would expect in in any good, big, chunky robot or space and or like Milsim type thing. You want that jargon because that's part of the effect. The, the affectation is... You know, oh, this is my radar dish. This is my gravity displacer because, you know, you're here for the techno babble. And that's what keywords are. They're techno babble for your setting. That's a really good way of putting it. It's absolutely your game specific techno babble. The other great thing about templating is that in addition to making your game easier to understand, it also makes it easier to write for. When you have a very solid identity as to how things need to be phrased how sentence structure works, how specific in-game events are referred to, it sets very clear expectations, and it means that you can more seamlessly integrate other people's work into your game. So if you want to have somebody guest write, 
like you have a style guide or what have you, but you can also just edit it to be templated the same way and it's seamless. Yeah. And templating is the, you know, crunchy version of a style guide. Yeah. Which is also very important because you want everything to flow together. If somebody has a great idea, I mean, the thing is you can add new rules to any game. You can add, you know, rules for cars to Dungeons and Dragons, but if it's totally unlike the rest of the way that the system functions, the way it's written, it's going to come across as very unusual and out of place. Whereas, you know, if you change the rules for, you know, refilling a car to, you know, uses spell slots or it uses once per long rest or something like that, then even though it's still kind of you're refueling a car, it reads a lot closer and it sticks out a lot less and it's a lot easier for people to, you know, to uh, get into Unlike my thought process, which just totally went away. <laughs> that car crashed a little bit. A little bit. No, but that's the thing. When you are playing a role-playing game, you want to be able to role-play or you want to advance the encounter. And you don't want to look at the thing and be like, how does this car work? Not like the, how does this car work in the fantasy? It's just, how do I make it function in the game? The less time you think about that, the more time you spend playing. Yes. A big thing that you can do, like if you're writing your game and you're asking yourself, damn, cat, all the things you've said are so wise and important. And for a literal infant, that's extremely impressive. But how do I get started on incorporating templating into my game? That's a very good question. And I'm glad you asked. The first step you should take is just looking at your game Decide what things you want to start with a capital letter. Maybe stats, names of classes, things like that. That way, when it starts with a capital letter, you will know that you are referring to the stat. A good example is I can use the word daring in heroic court. It's a normal English word. If I use capital D daring, I am referring to the stat daring. Every time. So a good first step is just what has a capital letter at the beginning of it? And if grammar isn't necessarily your strong suit, I mean, it's not for everybody, make sure that when you are referring to the game mechanic or the in-game use of that word, that you always start it with a capital letter. That's basically your templating 101. And don't worry, listener, Kat isn't calling you out over that. She's calling me out, trust me. <laughs> I'm calling Dustin out. You could also just go House of Leaves with it and color your game mechanic blue every time. You know what? You could. And um, <laughs> uh, I used to bang on about templating a lot when I was working on mod with my college friends. And I was at this for months upon months before I finally realized that they thought the whole time that I was talking about style guide. It just goes to show that if you're going to use jargon, make sure everyone understands the jargon. <laughs> oh, dear. Or they're they're not going to understand... <laughs> why you're mad at them. But the thing is, going House of Leaves with it, like if I were to decide right now that in Heroic Chord, every instance of a stat name would have a blue highlight on it. That's templating. That's actually a way a lot of games do templating. You can actually see this on a lot of old RPGs too, like uh, SNES RPGs. You know how sometimes you'll be talking to somebody and they'll refer to something that's important and the text will be a different color? Mm-hmm. That's a perfectly valid way of communicating information. As long as every time you describe a place the party has to go to, you make it red, someone will see a red, like, swamp of doom, and they'll be like, fuck, I gotta go to the swamp of doom, because that's templating. 
There are a lot of cool tricks you can do with templating, but the most important thing, obviously, is the templating should exist to make the rules more clear. You can be very clever with changing colors, with using special words, with using bold or italicizing, but always look at whenever you're going to change your format or change your templating, ask yourself, is this making the rules more easily understood? Ask yourself, am I doing this because I am cutting down on the ambiguousness of the language, or am I doing this because I think it is cool and clever? Not that there's anything wrong with being cool and clever, but when you're writing rules text, it needs to be clear above all else. And so, number one, is this clear? And then if it is, say, can I flavor this up a little bit? Can I use green to, you know, mean good things or health or something like that, you know, th then you can move on to there. But if it's like, I'm going to use green for anything related to uh, the fae, okay. That's, that's very mysterious. It's very mysterious. Is it important? Is the fae a big part of the setting? Ideally, it would be if you're, you know, calling it out like that, but it also might not be. And in which case you're just be like, yeah, this is a cool shorthand. That doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. If you're bringing your templating into your visual design, they're going to bleed into each other a bit. But there are a couple little tricks that you can kind of carry over from graphic design. Um, italic text kind of disappears a little bit. It, um, it has emphasis on it, but doesn't come across as being particularly important. That's why Magic uses it for flavor text. When text is in italics, what that is saying is... Uh, this is interesting, but it's not critical. The other thing that italics do in magic is indicate that this is not templated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Simultaneously, uh, bold obviously draws attention to itself. If you use bold or italics too much, they just tend to blur into the rest of the text and nobody notices or cares. I typically tend to use bold only for uh, minor headings. I'm very particular about my headings because I also do design <laughs> and managing your headings is a great way to make your text more readable. Little things like um, red is a color that brings to mind it's like warnings, urgency. So when you're bringing kind of graphic design principles into your templating, which should coexist with your word usage, <laughs> Like, please don't use graphic design as a substitute for grammatical templating. But a knowledge of the basics of graphic design will definitely help. Like I mentioned, 101 is deciding what needs to be capitalized. 102 might be deciding on one single way to communicate a common concept in your game. For example, in Heroic Chord, a skill role is always written as facet slash skill. For example... Daring Athletics is written capital D, Daring, backslash, capital A, Athletics, every time. If you're a game that has skills, every single time a skill role is called for, you should write it in the exact same way. I suppose you're sort of actively hashing out how you're templating encounters right now. Mm hmm So what are some of the key phrases and grammar we've got in there? Right now... When you use your key, I refer to it as activating part of your key. So whenever you roll and add two dice for using part of your key, that's referred to as activating your key. And that's every time. 
Here's one that I'm that's still kind of gray is the language referring to enemy moves because it's not always an enemy and they're not always attacking. Right. So I'm still kind of waffling on what exactly to call these discrete actions that are taken in a crisis against the party. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I'll figure it out. I still use attack. Yeah. Is crisis the official name for an encounter or event or whatever, whenever that system kicks in? I, that's a good question. (laughs) I don't know. That's another open question. I don't know whether I'm going to use crisis, whether I'm going to uh, just, I might go encounter. Mm Mm-hmm. I think encounter is vague enough to encompass both the kind of malevolent threats that we've statted out, but also things like disasters and other crisis situations, which are playable in this encounter system. And was one of the big things that went into building it. Exactly. So I'm nowhere near done my templating. Yeah, templating is something that keeps going. Templating can even be... uh, and usually does include some quote-unquote branding. Like, I don't know how this will eventually shake out, but I'm going to assume most likely that the players are going to be referred most likely as rangers in Heroic Chord every time because you are rangers in the setting. Yeah. For example, you know, in Shadowrun, you are runners. And so then most likely you are going to see the players referred to as the thing. Now, Not always, but that is something that a lot of games will do is come up with very specific words for, you know, the player or the GM or that sort of thing. And sometimes they will start with them and take them away for clarity. Yeah. Magic does have a tempestuous relationship with the word opponent. Ah. As co-op and multiplayer modes became more popular, the words other player and opponent stopped being interchangeable. Mm-hmm. And so that's been a shift in magic templating. But if you really want to see a wild shift in magic templating, go find the original printing of Oubliette and then look up its Oracle text, which is updating the templating for modern. It's pretty wild. Uh, although I should say probably the best is look up Sage of Latdam. Look the original printing and then look up the modern printing. It's wild. We're on a podcast, Nick. <laughs> Tell us the differences. Well, the difference is mostly the original printing is like a paragraph worth of text and the updated printing is tap, sacrifice, an artifact, draw a card. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, very, very old magic cards didn't have their templating down. So as a result, they would just describe a whole paragraph of conditions that um, it turns out that if those are implied in the rules already you can just put a single sentence on there and people will still understand what to do. Instead of having to rules lawyer all of every different thing because it's like, okay, well, you can't do it in this situation. You can't do it in that situation. Okay. Here is a question that might be too big to be answered in this discussion right now. Love those. How does templating interact for you with balancing and shifting numbers around and designing the mechanics of a system? Um, I'm an editor. My background is in editing. So I usually template as I go, and I'm pretty strict about it. So as I'm designing mechanics, I am making sure to be consistent in my word use. 
that's not the case for everybody, but my own approach is that they happen concurrently. I think it's easier for me to get a handle on what the game is trying to do if I am consistent in my language when I'm describing what the game is trying to do. Uh, I don't know necessarily that that's everybody's method, but I'm always thinking about templating. Cool. I guess, you know, the TLDR of all of this is think of templating as you're basically creating the language of your game. The way that your game communicates is going to be through its templating. Use the templating of your rules to explain the rules and not using your language to try and get around unclear templating. Yeah. I think what I'd like to say is just like, you know what? If you're making a game, go through your game, make sure that you know what you're capitalizing, that you always refer to important game events using the exact same language. And honestly, you're going to go from about a three to like an eight on the professionalism scale just by doing that. You'll be amazed at the effect it has, really. It's good you should do it. It's good and you should mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. I've got really nothing more on this on this topic, unfortunately. That's all right. That's all right. I know that we don't normally um, talk directly to designers in Cat's Cradle, but this time I like it's a, it's a subject I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. Dustin's lackadaisical capital use will be the death of me. <laughs> you can listen to my bestie Dustin on his film podcast for your consideration. Mm-hmm. If you do, be sure to leave a review about the host's poor use of capital letters. <laughs> After you've done that, though, <laughs> go ahead and tweet at us at Peach Garden RPGs. And tell us about templating. Yeah. We have unfortunately Uh, not done any templating on this episode. So let us know what we should template. (laughs) (laughs) You can reach us on the email form at peachgardengames.com or like Kathleen mentioned on Twitter. Do it. Have sprawling conversations with us about game design in the Be Gay Roll Dice Discord. Please actually do that. I know that very often, listen to me, listener, listen to me. I'm leaning forward. I'm leaning forward. Listener, listen to me, listen to me. Very often, when we're doing these ending bits, we're telling hilarious jokes. Ha 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 ha. Tell me about your favorite spiders, we say. And that's very good. It's delightful for us. But genuinely, get on the Be Gay Roll Dice Network and have extensive conversations about game design with us. I would love that. <laughs> I would weep. We would all appreciate that. Like, some of those things have happened, and they've been awesome. Yeah. Or you can just post memes. That works, too. Just post memes. Oh, yeah. Just post memes. Remember that we love you. <laughs> and we'll see you and next time. And listen to our friends. And we'll <laughs> see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. Be gay. Roll dice. An LGBTQIA actual play podcast network. Bored of D&D? Want to try something else? Why not check out Control Group? We test systems so you don't have to. Using our patented mini campaigns along with one shots, we test how far you can stretch systems with our unique ideas and broad storytelling. 
Our mission statement is to give a voice to those not often heard in the TTRPG community. So whether it be a system you've never heard of, or our testers being people of color, people on the LBGTQIA spectrum, we want to make sure our stories are broad, vast, and told from different perspectives. So whether you want classic role-playing or just big goofs, come listen to us try out systems, some of which we've even made ourselves. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, or head over to controlgrouppod.com. That's CTRL, just like the key on your keyboard. There you can find the systems we test along with easily accessible PDFs. So check us out if you're into Monster of the Week, Passion Dallas, Passionis, uh, Saw of Fire and Ice, Blazers and Feelings, Gunsight, Void Worlds, Wizards and Wands, Stranded, Interstitial, The Last Shonen, and so much more!